I'm Rachel, the creative director for Ram Dass's Love Serve Remember Foundation, and I'd like to welcome you to our Inner Academy, a virtual Dharma Hall where our family of wisdom teachers will help you navigate your daily life by bringing ancient wisdom into a modern context. With over 200 hours of audio and video teachings, meditations, and practices from teachers like Ram Dass, Krishna Dass, Sharon Salzberg, Jack Kornfield, Roshi Joan Halifax, Joseph Goldstein, and many more, the Inner Academy is your core resource for finding balance, presence, and navigating the ups and downs of your daily life. The Inner Academy has guidance for every step of your journey. Choose from an annual or monthly membership and gain access to past and future courses, retreat replays, virtual community, and much more. If you've been familiar with Love Server Member Foundation for a while, you'll know that most of our offerings are given freely or on a sliding scale basis. So when you subscribe to the Inner Academy, you're paying it forward and bolstering our ability to continue creating accessible offerings for all in the future, as Ramdas wished for us to do. Be here now and start your journey with Ramdas's Inner Academy today. For more, visit ramdas.org forward slash Inner Academy. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Because after a few weeks of every day singing so many hours, the mantra became home base. And the thoughts were like hawks that came and grabbed you and pulled you away only to drop you back on yourself after at some period of time. So you'd be chanting, and then you start remembering things and you go off in your mind while you're singing. And you don't even know you're not there until you go, oh, and you realize you've been gone. Welcome to the Krishnadas Pilgrim Heart Hour. In this podcast, Krishnadas shares his warm-hearted and down-to-earth path to the divine. If you are interested in supporting Krishnadas's podcast, please go to beherenownetwork.com/kd. Hare 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 Ram 
one melody that I learned from is Kirtan Wallace in Kenshi in 1995. But you know, the, re the reason that I can chant now is 
because Maharaji made us chant back in the old days. There were a group of kirtanwalas from Vrindavan uh, who Maharaji had invited up to the temple for the rainy season, for the spring, summer, and rainy season, and they basically sang Hare Krishna around the clock from about four in the morning till about 10 or 11 at night. And we would sing with them when we felt like it, and when Maharaj was in his room and we couldn't see him. But as soon as he would come out, we would just go to be with him. But then one day, towards the end of the season, one of these guys uh, tried to seduce one of the Western women that was there in the temple with us. And uh, Maharaji found out about it, and in, about, in no time at all, all 20 of these guys or 15 of these guys were loaded on the back of a truck with all their stuff, driven back down to the train and sent home to Brindavan. So one of the Indian people, they said, Baba, you just kicked out the Kirtanwalas, who's going to sing now? <laughs> the Westerners. Oh, really? Oh, shit. That's not what we want to do. We, wanna, we wanted to stare at Maharaji. That was the only thing we wanted to do. But there we were. So we had to sit in this little room <clears throat> around the corner from where he was. So if he came out, we wouldn't even see him. We wouldn't even know he came out. And we had to sing. We had one instruction, sing. There was no, like, time frame. It was like eternal damnation. <laughs> it's like, when does it end? It, it ended when he said it ended, but we didn't know when that could be. It could be three hours, four hours, five hours, or until the last minute before the bus came to take us back to town, back to where we were staying. <coughs> so it was torture. I mean, you know, every once in a while, was, oh, we're seeing how nice this is, but that superficial shit disappears right away. And you are faced with the fact that you cannot pay attention to your, 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 yourself for a minute. Your mind takes you away, your thoughts eat you up, your emotions destroy you and punch you around. But you have no option. You can't stop. You have to keep singing. <laughs> I can't describe to you the, the first couple of weeks how horrible it was. I, it cringed every time I thought about having to go back to the temple to sing. But that was the blessing of it, because we were forced to face our minds, and we were forced to deal with our stuff, and to learn to let go and come back to the chant. That was the only option. There was no escape. There was no place to go. You tried to get away, and Maharaji saw you and said, ah, go back. So like. One time, the bathroom was in the back of the temple, so one day I decided, well, I'll, I'll pretend to go to the bathroom, but I'll, I'll, I'll try to get over to see him, right? So I was walking this way towards the bathroom, but I was moving this way. <laughs> and he looked at me, he said, Jow, go. So I went to the bathroom, and I came back. I tried the same thing on the way back. Jow. No, no escape. You know, in the West, in our lives, we have so many things to do, so many ways to lose ourselves. We're trained from birth to lose ourselves, not to pay attention to our mind. We never are taught that there is a possibility that we could actually get a vote about the way we go through the day. 
the way we feel, how we meet each moment as it arrives. We're, we're never taught that. And in this pandemic time, that's what's killing people, that's what's eating people up. The fact that they have no way to deal with their minds and their emotions. For people who have been doing practice, it's like a retreat. <laughs> really, I mean, you know, you're, you have this big frame of time to keep letting go and to go deeper and deeper. <clears throat> so if it wasn't for that, if he didn't force us to sing for those long hours, uh, I wouldn't be here today. There was no way I would have gotten the experience of what, it, what happens when you do do the practice long enough for it to actually begin to work. Because after a few weeks of every day singing so many hours, the mantra became home base. And the thoughts were like hawks that came and grabbed you and pulled you away only to drop you back on yourself after and at some period of time. So you'd be chanting, and then you start remembering things and you go off in your mind while you're singing. And you don't even know you're not there until you go, oh, and you realize you've been gone. We spend most of our lives gone. Most of us. And it's really uh, that's the cause of all our suffering, that we do not, we're not here and we get no vote. We're always in reaction mode against everything. Everything that comes up, we bounce off of it. We don't get a chance to meet it and, and feel it first and greet it and say, oh, hello, anger, how are you? How you doing? Oh, really? Oh, you're pissed off? Well, come on in here, yeah. Come on, have a cup of tea. Let's talk about this. What's going on? And that ability to meet those emotions and those thoughts and to experience as they come, that changes the way you sit in yourself, that we sit in ourselves. And that gives us tremendous amount of freedom and a tremendous amount of... Uh, ability to feel so many different things. And did I know this is what I was going to be doing 50 years later? No. But he knew. And he was training me for this. He didn't, he's a siddha. He's not a teacher. He doesn't ask you, would you like to sing? Would you like to change the way you, you think about yourself and experience? No, he just does it. He, change, he does it. And that's the blessings. That's the grace. You know. That's the grace. So when we chant, we're not trying to make anything happen. We're just trying to pay some attention and not get lost in, in our thoughts or emotions. But every time we notice that we've been lost, we've, we've somehow we've imagined to, we've managed to wake up for a second. At that moment, we come back to the chant. And then we're gone again. And we're gone until we notice we're gone. Then we come back. 
That's why when you add a practice to your life, it that's what gives you something to come back to. Otherwise, you're just lost at sea with no direction. And the winds are blowing and the storms are coming and you have no propulsion to take you in the right direction. So once again, you're not, we're not trying to make anything happen. We're just simply trying to pay attention to the sound of the name and keep coming back. And many things will start to happen inside. But each person's journey is different, so there's no sense talking about what happens. You'll see if you do it. And <clears throat> the first noble truth, as they call it, of, that Buddha talked to people, that there is suffering, there is dissatisfaction, that the stuff of life doesn't make you happy. And that, that the recognition of, of our suffering is what forces us to come back to practice. You go out there and you, you have a dream and you try to manifest it and it just blows up in your face. That's good. If you're paying attention. If you're not paying attention, if you don't have a spiritual perspective, then that suffering happens with no purpose. But if you have a spiritual perspective, when you hit the wall at 100 miles an hour and finally pick yourself up the ground, you realize, well, maybe that wasn't a good idea. I'll try something else. So, <clears throat> we've all been trying to squeeze water from a stone for so long that our hands are broken and calloused. It's enough already. Let's find what's inside. And that takes some practice. Oh, 
So here's a question. Is there another CD on the way soon? Well, I think Taylor Swift is making another CD. <laughs> and uh, Kanye is making another CD. There's probably a lot of CDs on the way, but not from me. Not at this point. When you say, pay attention to our mind, who is the one who, who pays attention? Well, when you have the answer to that, let me know, okay? I'd like to know who that is. Um, <coughs> there's different ways to look at that situation. And uh, one of them, of course, is a, a practice that was taught by Ramana Maharshi, which is called the... the Atma Vichara, or who am I? In the, when I question 
and it's a practice that goes when you when you find yourself thinking you ask yourself who is thinking now and the answer is well I am and then the next question is well who am I and you might say well I'm Krishnadas well who's thinking now well I am well who am I every Everything always comes back to the who am I. Now, there is no answer in the mind, in the thoughts to that question. What happens is that sense of I-ness, the sense of being, starts to become more uh, visible in a sense, feelable, experienceable by as you move deeply into the feeling and into the awareness of something. So that's a practice, it's called Atma-vichara, and it's on the, suppose, talked about on the path of Jnana Yoga. Uh, also in Buddhist meditation, they always talk about pure awareness. So you have an object of concentration, and then you recognize that you've been thinking. You simply let go of the thought and come back to the breath or to whatever it is that you're supposed to be paying attention to. The question of who it is has no answer in reality. There is only pure awareness, pure being. And there's no one, there's no egoistic definition inside of that space, ultimately. Not where we live now, but ultimately. So that's a practice. So it's not really useful to ask, who is it that's paying attention? Because you say, okay, well, I'm paying attention. But then you ask, well, who am I? And there's no answer for that. That would last. Well, so I'm me. It's me. Well, who's thinking that? Well, I am. Well, who am I? It always comes back to that. And then eventually... When you turn towards that I, or that feeling of being, of pure being, of just, just being, naked awareness, different things begin to happen inside. But in this case, we're just trying to get here a little bit. And so you, you start chanting, or you start repeating the mantra, and when you notice not, you're not paying it, you simply let go and come back. Because if you say, well, who's doing that? That's just a thought. You let go and come back. You can always let go until there's nothing to let go of anymore and no one to let go. That's probably not right away. Oh, I guess everybody's having um, Thanksgiving dinner. There's very few questions, which is fine with me. Somebody else asked, um, can we sing Om Namah Shivaya? Please. Uh, well, since you asked nicely, maybe. <laughs> Will there be satsangs around Christmas time to look forward to? I wouldn't look forward to anything except trying to be here now. But maybe.
if Christmas shows up this year, we might be singing at some point. I don't know. And how can I enter in your satsang actually? I don't even know what that means. You mean how can you actually get in this room? Don't ask me. It just <laughs> happens. And this is a one-time shot. Usually I'm alone in my, in my room at home with all the electronics that didn't work today. So that's all the questions we have. That's good. That's good. Now the drummer went out to have a smoke, so we got to wait till he comes back. <laughs> <laughs> Drummers, they're never on time. I don't know what it is with them. <laughs> <clears throat> one one blessing of this pandemic time, this COVID time, is we get to see our minds. There's no escape. One has to deal with it, other when one gets eaten up. So that's why practice is so important. And practice is something that that takes time to develop. One of the definitions of meditation is to become uh, familiar with the feeling of being here, of coming back. And the more familiar you get with that feeling, the more quickly you notice when you're gone, and then you're, you come back. There's an interesting thing that happens, you know. So you'll be chanting and blah, 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 going on. And then you realize the last 20 minutes you've been thinking about something, fantasizing, remembering, imagining. And then you recognize that. How did that happen? How did you wake up? How did it happen that you noticed you hadn't been paying attention? That's a mystery. But waking up only happens if there's a cause for waking up. Nothing happens without a cause. So the cause for waking up, in this case, is the mantra itself, the name itself. Because the, name, the names that we sing are the names of pure being, pure awareness, the soul, atma, pure consciousness. So because we're invoking that with the practice, even if we're not paying a lot of attention, we're still invoking that place. So as we get pulled away by our thoughts, the fact that we've invoked that place, that presence, it pulls us back to ourselves, brings us back. And we go, oh. And the whole time you've been gone, you've actually been singing or playing instruments. And you don't even realize you've been gone. It's amazing. Really amazing. And believe me, it ain't a lot of fun when you start to notice it. But you keep going. Keep, oh, uh-oh. More questions. <laughs> <laughs> Go have another cigarette. <laughs> I was in the kitchen. Oh, you're in the kitchen. Mom is in the kitchen. Okay, uh, so let's see, what is this? What does it take to see you guys in person? 
you guys, whoever that you're talking about, seems like you could talk to someone individually. I need to talk to someone. Perhaps at a retreat. When is your next retreat? Uh, good question. Um, these days, I'm not really doing a lot of uh, meeting a lot of people. I'm mostly staying home. I am doing some retreats. We're doing one in Costa Rica at the Blue Spirit down there. But I think that's sold out. And I'm doing one at the end of January down in Baja. Uh, you can probably see it on my website, christianbass.com. I don't know if it's sold out or not. Uh, so good luck. That's all I can tell you. I, I, if you have something you want to talk about, I hope we could meet sometime. What am I chewing? Tobacco. <laughs> I'm chewing. I'm ricolas. I'm not really chewing them. I'm, I'm allowing them to dissolve and coat my throat so I can keep singing. And also so I can support my local dentist. Because <laughs> these are made with sugar in my teeth. They rot my teeth out. <clears throat> the sugarless ones give you cancer, so I have to use these. What is the reason that we are always busy at heart and your mind is racing, but we forget the real answer, so just sit and focus on the seeds that we plant? That's a hell of a question. What is the reason that we are always busy at heart and the mind is racing? Because that's what we've been doing our whole lives. We're born into a world where everybody's mind is racing, a culture especially Western culture, but all cultures these days. Everybody's mind is completely, as they say in Hindi, mishuga. <laughs> completely crazy. Racing, 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 no peace of mind at all. And, and that's the situation, and, and that translates into why the world is a mess, because everybody's mind is a mess. So that's why practice is so important. If you recognize that, you have to try to find a way to slow down. And, and it's, not, it's not so easy. Uh, because a transformation has to happen. Where you stop looking outside for happiness, for peace, for love and you start to look at yourself, towards yourself. And it's a, there's a period where that turning around and moving inside, it takes time to develop that. But the more you recognize how useless it is to try to get something from the outside that's ultimately satisfying, then you, that, the more you realize that, the more intensely you, you turn to yourself. You turn to the self within, and that self actually is the same self in every being. There's only one self, and we're all part of that inside. Recommend a book that changed your life. Well, one of the first books that changed my life was uh, Siddhartha by Herman Hesse. I was in college, and I was brutally unhappy. I wanted so badly to quit and go on the road and try to find something in life that really felt, made me feel good. And I was very 
really very, very unhappy. So a friend of mine said, here, read this. And he handed me the Siddhartha. I read it, and I hit the road. <clears throat> so that was a powerful book for me. It's very a romantic telling of a very wonderful story. And then another book that was very important for me was, was Tulsi Das's Ramayana, the Ramchayat Manas, which is a, the devotional telling of the story of Ram and Hanuman, and Sita and Lakshman and the bears and the monkeys and the demons and the whole uh, transformation and the, the destruction of the evil in the world by, by the incarnation of Vishnu and Ram. That's, that's, that was very, is still very powerful for me. How to let go, how to feel more free at this time, minute by minute, thought by thought. That's how to let go. There's no button to push to make it all go away. You have to start paying attention. You have to start doing a little practice every day, a little practice. I mean, little, just a few minutes a day to start. When you really do it, you turn your phone off, three minutes, and you really just try to be there. That's going to be hard. But if you try to do like even a half an hour right away, you're just going to be, you know, you're going to be gone the whole time and not paying attention at all. So give yourself a few minutes every day to start to get familiar and comfortable with letting go of stuff and just being. It takes practice. Do I ever do one chant for longer, like a half an hour or an hour? Yeah, I do. What do you want? <laughs> do we do it here? Not yet. <clears throat> Can we separate thoughts and feelings? I don't know exactly what you mean. You mean separate the thoughts from feelings? Well, even emotions... Emotions, and if those are the kind of feelings you're talking about, even emotions, to some degree, have a lot of thought content to them. There's, there's usually reasons that emotions arise. And, and you're like, anger, there'll be a reason, and there'll be, it won't be, this person did that to me. There'll be a storyline involved with what arises to some degree. It's, sometimes it's very subtle. Sometimes it's coming from the past into this moment with no apparent reason. So it's hard to locate the story or the reason why that thing arose. But when you're practicing, <coughs> or chanting, or repeating the name, or using a different object of concentration, Eventually, it becomes very easy to notice that you're gone, and then you just let go and come back. Also, eventually, feelings arise from within that are not uh, the same as emotion or thoughts. They, they come from a deeper place, and you can feel very rooted, very deeply at home, but it's not, it's not something that you can even, you can even want, you wouldn't want to let go of it, but it's not something to let go of because it, isn't, it doesn't involve the egoistic uh, personality. 
It comes from within. And it's, it's a, it's almost like a memory of what we really are, of who and what we really are. Talk about the prayers you always say at the end of Kirtan. Did it come from loving kindness meditation? Yeah, it, uh, it's my, it's the, it's loving kindness meditation. As you might know, it's called metta, M-E-T-T-A. And uh, it's a way of offering friendship and, and kindness and good feelings to yourself and other beings. And in Buddhism, they're very specific about this. They say they, they, want, they, they want you to offer the merit, offer the good karmas of making, of, of doing practice. Because when you do practice, we may think we're doing it just for ourselves, but there's nothing that's just ourselves because we're all totally interconnected. So when we do practice, we're also doing it for all beings on some very deep level. And so we, wanna, we also want to offer the, the good uh, intention of the fact that we're doing practice to relieve our suffering and the suffering of others. And we want to offer that intention or merit. It's not really merit like we usually de define it but it's the good karmas of it to all beings. And that helps us bypass the, uh, the ego, which wants to grab onto everything for itself. And look at me, I'm doing practice. I'm so high, I'm so great. So you can get, you want to find ways around that so you don't get stuck in those feelings about, look what I'm doing so much practice. So you offer that practice and that I've done this not just for myself, but for all beings, for everyone, because we're all, ultimately one, like Maharaj used to say, Sabek, one, only one, all one. It'd be nice to really experience that someday, but we'll see. So, I, somebody says, so you've mentioned in the past that you realized that you had to chant with others to overcome the darkness in your mind. That's a nice way to say it. It's not the way I said it, but it's true. How did you fare during this pandemic when you suddenly couldn't chant with others? <laughs> Are you there? Are you others? Are you chanting with me? What is the problem? I am chanting with others. I, they're just not in the room. But you're in the phone. How'd you all get in there? <clears throat> How do we know if we are progressing spiritually? Uh, if we don't think about it, there's a possibility that we might be. But the other way is, are you treating other people better? Are you treating people well? And are you spending less than time less time moping around thinking about yourself? It's hard to see, actually. 
uh, I, I was a, I'm a moper. I was born a moper, and I'll always be a moper. That's that's like home base for me. I'm solely. I love moping. Sometimes I'll mope around just for fun. It's so norm, natural to me. But it's not negative anymore. It's not depressive anymore. It, it's kind of like, and I, I don't mope the same way I used to mope. I don't know how that happened. I miss it. But I, I, it doesn't happen. I don't mope around that way. So that's big time for me. So things, the real changes are, are way under the radar. You don't see them. Because it, if you see them, it's because it's the evaluator, the judger in us that's being thinned out and dissolved, hopefully. The one who's always saying, well, how am I now? How am I now? Was this a good meditation? Oh, look how I'm really chanting, great. That goes away little by little, hopefully. Can you say something about Bajrang Ban? Bajrang Ban is a, another long prayer to Hanuman. Ban is arrow or weapon. And Bajrang is Hanuman. So this is the, the weapon or the arrow of Hanuman. And it's a powerful chant. Uh, you say here, I have read that we are not supposed to sing it every day. Well, my teacher told me to sing it every day, so I don't know what you're talking about. Sing it 11 times a day. Sing it 100 times a day. It's, they say it's what the sadhus sing in the jungle when they get scared. Goes out in the jungle, boy, this is scary shit. You don't want to be there all alone in the middle of the night. Woo! So they sing the Bajrang Ban if they get scared. It's a very powerful mantra. There's a, there's a number of beach mantras in there, very powerful syllables, sound syllables, that are, that need to be pronounced correctly. Mostly we don't pronounce, as Westerners, we don't pronounce anything correctly. correctly. See, I can't even speak English. <laughs> <laughs> so with the, with the Bajrangban, there's a few these beach mantras that I was instructed to make sure I pronounce them in a certain way. So uh, it was funny. Siddhima had told Ramdas that if he learned the Bajrangban, he would be able to walk again. So he asked me to teach it to him. So we spent hours and hours going over it. And then he'd never do it. So then I came back again and he wanted to learn it again. So we spent hours and hours going over it and he didn't learn it. So then I made a recording of it for him, like word by word. Uh, and he listened to it a few times, but he never did it. It was very interesting. She told him that if he learned it, he would walk again, but he never could learn it. I think for him it was a combination of two things. First of all, it took a lot of concentration uh, on something outside of him, which was hard for him to, because of all the, the stuff that's going on in his head from the stroke and his body. And I think that part of him, that, that part of his brain that could learn something complicated like this was probably part of the brain that was damaged a little bit. And the other part of it, I think he wanted to accept fully 
the stroke as his karmic situation. He didn't want to try to change it. He wanted to change the part of him that would want to change it. He wanted to fully surrender to what was happening. And in that surrender, end his suffering, which he did. And he, through that 20, 20 plus years of working with the effects of the stroke, he really, um, he really uh, came very close to fully surrendering to, to Maharaji and to the moment and to the situation and overcoming it with that power of surrender, the strength of surrender. Surrender is very difficult. It's not giving up. It's conquering the ego. Very difficult. Big time. <coughs> I told you, I, ju I did record a step-by-step -step pronunciation track for the Bajrang Bond. Maybe I'll put that out sometime, but I better make sure I learn it. I'll do it 100% correctly. 100% of my usual, 10% anyway. Would I say I'm off the grid? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. What do you mean? How do you properly ask a guru to be your guru? Uh, there's no way you don't ask a guru. The guru is already your guru, or you, he wouldn't be your guru. And it's the guru that does it, not you. If you, you know, Ramana Maharshi used to talk about destroying the mind. And he used to say that asking the mind or the ego to destroy the ego is like asking the policeman. No, so it's like asking the thief to be the policeman. There'll be a lot of investigation, but no arrest will ever be made. The mind is not going to destroy the mind. The ego wants to live. It doesn't want to destroy itself. You have to trick it. You have to dissolve it. And as it's finally going under, it goes, oh, well. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> One can hope. But the, first of all, guru is not outside. Guru, God, and your true nature are one thing. They're not different things. Because we identify with the mind and the emotions and the body, we think guru is a mind and emotion and a body outside of us. And yes, the guru or guru-ness may inhabit a body for some period of time, but it is not the body. It is what's in the body. And what's in that body is no different than what's in your body, my body, everybody's body. We just don't recognize it. But a guru does. So there's no sense. You don't ask a guru to be a guru. Then, then you know, it just doesn't work like that. You follow your heart. 
you learn to trust your own feelings and emotions. And, and if you don't trust yourself, then what? Where are these feelings happening? Where are you going to be led? Where are you going to feel what's right for you in life? Inside of you, right? And if you don't trust yourself, then what? There's reasons we don't trust ourselves. Our parents didn't trust themselves. My, their parents didn't trust themselves. Nobody we met, almost nobody we meet in our daily lives actually trusts themselves. It's hard. That's, a, that's very, the whole path in my opinion, which is worth not very much, is the whole path is about learning how to trust yourself. And eventually you find your true self because it's inside. If you're afraid of going inside or don't recognize that that's the way to go, what are you going to do? It's all happening inside. All the experiences are inside. They're not out there. They may look like they're out there or with something outside, but it's all from in here that we really experience. If somebody, if you go to a, a guru or a teacher and they have some, they give you some advice and you, you think, oh, that sounds good. Are you trusting them or yourself? It's yourself you're trusting. The way you feel about what they said. Oh yeah, I'll do that. Until it turns out that that wasn't a very good idea. And then you're also trusting yourself, so you do something else. I'm trying to ask you a question, but I don't have one. <laughs> uh, okay. When I pray, questions seem to dissolve, but they come back in different forms. How do I get rid of them forever? Don't stop praying. That's the deal. Keep repeating the name. And when it goes 24-7, 365, you'll be in good shape. When we, what to do when I don't feel like chanting or doing my practice, when it feels empty and forced? How do we keep the fire lit? You're looking in the wrong place for the fire. You think that the fire means you should feel a particular way when you do your practice. That's not the case. The practice is the repetition of the name, not the practice is not how do I feel when I'm re repeating the name. The practice is the repetition of the name. When you repeat the name, everything that you experience is something that you can let go of. So repeat the name and notice that you feel like a piece of shit. You won't notice that that's just a thought or an emotion unless you're doing your practice. When you do your practice, that becomes the object of awareness and you can let it go. When you're not doing your practice, you just feel like a piece of shit, and you think that's reasonable. You believe that. But when you add the practice to the moment, then that becomes, out, you, you notice that that's the object. Oh, I'm aware of that. I'm thinking that I'm a piece of shit. So you can let go of it. 
But until you're aware, you can't let go. But you have, you think you're supposed to feel holy or spiritual or even happy or intense or blah, blah, when you do your practice. If I waited for that, I'd be fucking watching TV all day long. You sit down and you do it. And that's what brings you home eventually. It's not about how you feel. It's not about you. It's not about who you think you are. It's not about who we think we are. It's about who we truly are, which is something we have to uncover by continually letting go of our stuff and eventually touching and tasting the, 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 real, the real joy, the real happiness, the real love that's inside of us as our own true self. I've heard about a lady singing the Gayatri Mantra in her car incorrectly and losing her voice. Can you speak about this kind of thing? Yeah. She may have lost her voice, but she should have an accident. No, I don't know what that's about. That's, you know, that's, this kind of superstitious shit really pisses me off. You know, people hear all these stupid things, you know, she was singing incorrectly and she lost her voice. She was singing it too fucking loud, that's all. Had nothing to do with singing incorrectly. If if we were punished by the universe for everything we did incorrectly, we'd never get out of bed. We wouldn't even be born. Come on. It's not like that. We're we're all we're so fucked up already. It, it makes everything we do is incorrect. We're trying to find the right thing to do. Any little bit of practice you do is a good thing. Because we're asleep. We're on automatic. We're creating more suffering for ourselves and others every minute of every day with our thoughts and emotions and our attachments and reactions. Any little bit of practice we do, correct or incorrect, is a good thing. But people believe all kinds of stuff. You know, what can you do? I don't know. Maybe I believe all kinds of stuff. What, how, I wouldn't know, right? <laughs> I'm just going to hell. All right, that's enough of this. Uh, okay. You know, some of these questions are really good questions, but they're not like, you know, they're, they're not, you can't respond to them reasonably in a very short period of time. So uh, here's a question about the use of psychedelics as a tool for our sadhana. How do we know if we should make use of them? Well, first of all, I wouldn't be here, as from, as from my perspective, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for psychedelics. I took peyote between my junior and senior year of high school Oh, my God, you can't, you know, high school was never the same. <laughs> Nothing was the same, actually. And without that experience, when, when, I, when I ate the peyote and, and, and I was in that space, I was absolutely astounded at the beauty of the universe. And more than that, I knew that what I was seeing was more true 
than anything I had experienced before. It was more true than my daily life. I had no doubt about that. And then the problem came, well, how do I live there? Are you going to be able to live there through taking psychedelics? Absolutely not. Never. You can get a hit. Like Maharaji said, the yogi medicine, LSD, brings you into the room with Christ. But you can't stay. The only way to stay, he said, is love. So, psychedelics can be good to give you a glimpse of what might be more real and deeper. On the other hand, they could also fuck you up. So you just have to listen to your heart. You're the one that has to decide. Nobody can tell you. You have to decide whether it's right for you or not, whether you think it's going to be. And uh, it's up to you. Nobody can tell you. I certainly can't tell you. Ramdas went to India to find out what LSD was. He knew it had changed his life. But nobody knew what it was. What is it? He went around giving it to all kinds of people that some people liked it, some people didn't like it, some people said, got it anymore, some people, you know. But nobody knew what it was. And then when he met Maharaji, after, after the first day when he had very deep experience with Maharaji, but the second day, Maharaji says to him, you have some medicine? Give it to me. So he thought Maharaji had a headache, so he took out some aspirin. Maharaji said, nay, the yogi medicine. He must mean acid. So he took out the acid, put it on the palm of his hand, he offered it to Maharaji. Maharaji took him three or four pills, enough acid to put a horse on the moon, threw him in his mouth. They sat around all day, nothing happened. No change in Maharaji at all. Nothing. Not like, wow, nothing. That was really big for Ramdas. Because obviously this guy was beyond it. It had no effect on him. <coughs> but a funny story. So when, when Ramdas came back to America, he started telling people that story. And some people said to him, oh, come on. You know, he threw it over his shoulder. He scammed you. Nobody can take that much acid. Now, Ramdas didn't believe that, but there was like a tiny little bit of doubt in his mind. Well, you know, it's possible. So the second trip to India, I was already there, and we were together with Maharaji and Vrindavan. There were me, Ramdas, two other guys. And we were sitting there with Maharaji one day, and Maharaji looks at Ramdas and said, when you were in India last time, did you give me medicine? Ramdas said, yes. Oh, did I take it? How cool, right? He knew Ramdas had doubts. So Ramdas said, I think so. Oh, got any more? Yes. Give it to me. So again, Ramdas put three or four pills on his palm, and Maharaji went like this. <laughs> four times and then 
was sitting with him. I'm sitting right next to Ramdas. After a few minutes, he takes his blanket, he pulls it up over his head, and then he opens it up and he goes, uh, <laughs> like this. Ramdas turned purple. Purple. I'd never seen a purple human being before. And he thought, later on, he told me, he thought, I thought, he didn't take it the first time. And he knew I had doubts. He was trying to prove to me he could do it. Oh my God, I've killed my guru. That's what he thought. The minute he had that thought, Maharaj just laughed and dropped the whole drama. And, he, and we sat around with him all day, no change, nothing. He said, oh, yogis have known about this stuff for thousands of years. He said, no, a, a, what, a, no poison can affect the real yogi. That's what he said. It was interesting. And nothing happened. It was just business as usual all day long. So, <clears throat> the other thing was, the acid in those days was very pure. This was Owsley acid, or Sandoz acid is what I had taken, which was the purest of the pure. Now, I don't really know what's in these things. People mix all kinds of things up and stuff. So, if you're thinking about doing it, try to find something that's really what they say it is, what it's supposed to be. Because people throw all kinds of different chemicals into different chemicals. So they put speed into the acid, they put all kinds of things. So if you really want the right, you know, to have that experience, try to find something that's pure. <clears throat> One time he, he said, some of us were smoking a little bit of hash in those days. But he told us to stop. And he said, listen, if, if hash could get you to God, I'd put you in a room full of it, and I'd come in, and we all smoke it together. But it won't do that. And in fact, he said, it destroys your health. And it's true, you know, in India, there are sadhus who smoke hash all day long, every day. Especially the Nagababas who live out, many Nagababas, not all of them, who live in the jungle outside, you know, in the freezing cold. They cover themselves with ash and they smoke the hash, charas, to, to keep keep them their bodies warm in the cold weather. But these old babas who've been smoking their whole life, you can see it's like the, the juice has been sucked out of them. You can really see that. It's very obvious. So, anyway, take care of yourself and see what happens. It's up to you. All right, we've really been talking too much. <clears throat> I want to put my thing in. There's no thing to put in.
Oh.
Falling up to hungry hearts Everywhere through endless time You who wander, you who thirst I offer you this boat in mind Calling out hungry spirits Everywhere through endless time Falling out hungry hearts All the lost and the left behind Gather round and share this meal Your joy and your sorrow I make it I'm 
It's only because of the great beings that have gone before us. Out of their love, out of their kindness, they left some footprints for us to follow. So, in the same way that they wish for us, in the same way that they wish for us, we wish that all beings everywhere, all of us, be safe all of us be happy, that all of us have good health and enough to eat, and may we all live in peace and at ease of heart with whatever comes to us in life. Shanti, Shanti. 